There is a vitality, a life force, an energy, a quickening that is translated through you into action. And because there is only one of you in all of time, this expression is unique. And if you block it, it will never exist through any other medium and be lost. The world will not have it. It is not your business to determine how good it is, nor how valuable, nor how it compares with other expressions. It is your business to keep it yours, clearly and directly, to keep the channel open. You do not even have to believe in yourself or your work. You have to keep open and aware directly to the urges that motivate you. Keep the channel open. And that is a quote by the famed choreographer and dancer Martha Graham. And that quote has carried me through life, you know. Um, I first discovered it when I was writing my first book. Um, and obviously my best-selling book. Um, <clears throat> and the quote helped me with a problem I've always had, which is why does anyone care what I have to say? Why does anyone... Why do I matter? Is my story good enough? Is it dramatic enough? Have I suffered enough t for my story to matter? Um, and the answer is yes. <laughs> yes, you have suffered enough. Um, you are who you are. But um, that idea of there's only one of you and your only job is to just be you and express what it is you have to express. And to compare it to others is where you get into big, big trouble. Um, I have found myself struggling with compare and despair, is what I call it. Compare and despair thoughts uh, for most of my life. But even now, when I'm alone, I've still dealt with compare and despair. I'll, I'll find myself randomly in the cabin. Just my train of thought will, will wander. And I'll start wondering... What are the other loners doing? What are the other loners in the designated loner program doing right now? And I'll go, are their gardens as good as mine? Are their tomatoes better than mine? Oh, uh, I bet loner zone 281A, I bet that fucking asshole, probably their tomatillos turned out okay. Mine just shriveled up and they were yellow, you know, and I start getting mad and I start judging myself. And it, that's just stupid, you know? It's, it's definitely not as, I mean, trust me, when you become alone and you separate yourself from society, uh, you definitely don't have to deal with compare and despair triggers as much, you know? And so those thoughts, they're fleeting now. Thank God I'm so free of it now. But it used to be a real problem for me. And um, especially with social media, when social media was really ramping up and probably it was already starting to um, become sentient and uh, and metastasized, but, um, it was probably already starting. We just didn't know it yet, but yeah, back in America one, I had major problems with compare and despair on social media. You know, I'd be lying there about to go to bed, turn on my phone, open up Instagram, see a, uh, a party, an industry party that everybody's out a premiere party or something. And I'd see all my peers there and I'd be like, well, why wasn't I invited? I'm one of you. And then I'd start panicking. And then, then I'd start replaying every single interaction I'd ever had with the people in the pictures to determine in my head, 
why I wasn't invited. Oh, well, maybe it's because that one time I, I wasn't as nice as I should have been in the green room at Nerd Melt. You know, like, oh, I bet it's because of that tweet that I put out one time that was just really not good. You know, I, I, I will, I would just come up with these elaborate theories. And, you know, and then at that point, I'm soaking in sweat. Uh, my heart rate is at a full, you know, full volume. And, and I'm wide awake, and now I can't sleep, you know, and that that would be what it was like. Um, back then, and then combine that with the discourse that was just starting to become so impossible. Uh, social media was becoming such a problem, not just for me, but for everyone. And um, I remember there was one point where I really, it was just like at a frenzy for me, and I was really, really frustrated. And it was um, back in 2018, when Justin Timberlake dropped his new album, Man of the Woods, and he performed at the Super Bowl. Now to give you a little history, I uh, was a huge fan of Justin Timberlake. Still am in many ways. Um, and yes, part of that is colored by the fact that I met him one time. All right. And he was, and it wasn't just meeting like a meet and greet or a passing hello or, oh my God, it's Justin. Like, it wasn't like that. It was like special. Okay. So if you don't know this, um, so basically uh, I had a TV show with Nikki Glaser on MTV. And one of the reasons we got the show, one of the factors that helped us sell our show is that just the week before we pitched our show, we did all this intentionally. Um, we put out a video that we knew was going to go viral. And it was a PSA of us begging Justin Timberlake to make music again. At, at the time, uh, he hadn't made a, an album in six years. And people were like, when is Justin going to come back? And we made a PSA begging him to make music again. It went viral and Justin tweeted it and said it was funny. And it was like one of the highlights of my life. I was like screaming. I like lost my voice. I was like, Like, I couldn't talk. My boyfriend at the time thought I was having, like, some kind of asthma attack, but it was because I had found out that Justin had tweeted my video. And anyway, so Nikki and I were through the moon. We, then we go and pitch the show, and we're, like, we're showing the video as an example of the type of stuff we would do on the show. And I remember the executives being like, and did Justin see the video? And we're like, yes, he did. And it was a huge way of getting them excited about the show that we were really had our pulse on the, you know, our, our fingers on the pulse. And, and then, of course, we got a show. And then literally the week that our show premiered was the week that Justin announced he was coming back to music. And it was glorious because we felt that it was our doing that he came back to music. We were like, you're welcome, America. Uh, we really felt that it was our thing. So we were so excited. We talked about Justin on every episode of the show. And then towards the end of our show, towards the end of the second season, uh, they flew us out. The, the producers of the show were like, okay, you're going to the iHeart Music Radio Festival in Vegas. And you're going to interview Kesha. And we were like, okay, that seems like a long way to go just to interview Kesha. Even though I love Kesha, she'd already been on our show. Why would we go out to Vegas just to interview her? And I th figured, well, maybe they're trying to get us into some other events while we're there. And we did a lot of red carpet, funny red carpet stuff. And this would be a place where celebrities were. So we get to Vegas and I notice in the hotel that there's like a poster of Justin Timberlake and, uh, for his new movie, Runner Runner, at the time. Um, no offense, but the movie was 
pretty fucking bad. Uh, it was garbage, but I was excited about it because <laughs> it, it, it was just, I was riding the wave of JT at this point. Anyway, I saw a poster and I was like, there's no way he's here. And I thought, hmm, what if they're like surprising? And I didn't tell anyone. I was like, what if somehow Justin Timberlake is going to like be a part of this and they're surprising us? And I started getting nervous and I didn't say anything to Nikki. I didn't say anything to anyone except one person. I told my boyfriend, I was like, I think they might be surprising us with Justin. Um, I actually never told anybody this because I didn't want to give away the fact that I had suspected. I wanted everyone to think it was a complete shock. I was like, what if they're, but I'm the type of person that fantasizes about things all the time. And and I'll be like, oh my God, what if I wake up in the cabin today and uh, there's just a new, um, a new world. And not only do I get to keep the land, but like America has been solved and I get to have friends again. Um, I'll just come up with ideas like that. And then they don't happen, but I just like to fantasize about what could happen. So I used to be that way as well. And so I was like, what if they did it? But I was like, don't say anything. You're just going to get let down. And part of me was like, I hope it doesn't happen just because I'm too nervous now. What if I don't react appropriately? <laughs> like, So I'm all in my head. And at one point while we're getting ready, and everything was a little weird. I was like, something's off. And I was like, maybe this is, this is going to happen. I'm like, things are weird. And uh, Nikki, we're getting ready in the bathroom. And she was like, She's like, you seem really nervous. And I was like, I was like, I'm just nervous, you know, and just, it's just, this all is very stressful. And I, I just didn't like, I was, and she's like, oh yeah, okay. She had no idea. But I, I, could, I was like, but I don't want her to know because I don't want her, I want her face to be genuine and mine to be like, just so excited. And I just didn't want to ruin it or jinx it. Anyway, so we're sitting there and we're waiting for Kesha <laughs> and, and the door opens and it's Justin Timberlake. Our faces in that moment, I've watched it again. And there's like a picture of us in that moment is one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. Like I started crying. I was 35 years old at the time. Justin was so, not only did he come in and surprise us, but he interviewed us because our producer, Kim Gamble, who's just so brilliant and a good friend of mine. uh, She was like, okay, these girls are going to be so beyond excited in the moment. They're going to be speechless. I'm going to get just in the questions and let him lead the conversation. And that way we're not just frozen in the moment. It was really smart of her because it ended up being a really funny, sweet interview. We made, we made him laugh. We made him cry. No, just kidding. He didn't cry. Um, he was probably like, what the fuck is wrong with these women? But anyway, he remembered our video and he like knew stuff about us now. And that might've been something that our producer told him, but it didn't matter. It was magical. And then when he left, um, I really did kind of break down because it was just one of the nicest things anyone has ever done for me. Um, I can't speak for Nikki on that, but for me, it was like, God, people went all out of their way, spent money, um, kept things under wraps to give me a moment of wonder and magic. And like, as an adult, you don't get that very often. And it was just so special. It was really like a highlight of my life. Anyway, so because of that, I have positive feelings about Justin Timberlake. And I always will. Okay? Deal with it. That's what happens when you're personally affected by something. You now have an emotional investment in it. And you can't help but look at that person through rose-colored glasses. Okay? So cut to, years later, Justin comes out with a new album, Man of the Woods. I'm not going to lie. I thought it was 
it wasn't his best. It was I liked some of the songs. Um, definitely liked "Say Something" with Chris Stapleton. I liked "Filthy." Some of the songs on the album though were just straight up corny. Like, are you serious with this, Justin? What are you doing? Um, the concept was like all over the place, you know. And it, but when when they announced the album and every little thing that came out, it was it was interesting to me because it was like suddenly on Twitter and um, in the media, Justin, it was clear the tide had turned. People had decided Justin was over. Justin is over. Justin is trash. Canceled. Justin is canceled. And I was like, whoa, what happened? Justin is not cool anymore. Was it that song he put out for the Trolls movie soundtrack? I thought it was catchy, but it was some corny ass shit. And it lacked some of the edge that Justin used to bring to his music. So I guess the tide had started turning. And of course, there were people that had had a problem with Justin for a really long time um, because of his uh, the, his behavior after the, the previous Super Bowl that he did with, uh, with Janet Jackson, in which, you know, he ripped off her little shirt. And um, we got to see a little bit of Janet Jackson's tit, just a tiny little bit. And uh, that brought America to its knees, which is insane when you think about everything that happened after that, all the scandals. I mean, when Trump became president, I mean, every single day was packed with 20 scandals that one of them would have brought America to its knees back then. But back when Justin and, and Janet did the Super Bowl, I think it was 2004, that was, it was just like such a huge controversy that we saw a little bit of tit. Um, not nipple, but just the skin of her underside of her tit. We just saw a little bit of boob and it was like the end of the fucking world. And Justin didn't behave the way he should have after that. I didn't really absorb it back then. I, it was a different time. There was not social media the way it used to be where you couldn't tap into all the different hot takes as quickly. And so for some reason, that hot take that, you know, he fucked over Janet afterwards didn't really reach my ears. And that was me being in a bubble and me being in my own little privileged world that I was in. I get that. But people were upset with Justin because he had kind of let her take the fall for it. And then cut to 2018 and he's playing the Super Bowl and she's not. Uh, she was black. They they were told that they both weren't going to ever get to play the Super Bowl again because of their inappropriate behavior. But yet somehow Justin is invited back and Janet isn't. Now, look, these are all the things that we see from the outside. We don't know what actually happened. Now, everybody kept saying, oh, my God, he should bring Janet out. And I was saying that I was like, God, I hope he brings Janet Jackson out. God, that would be so amazing. What if he brought her out and they did that song? Um, uh, Rock your body. Uh, if they did that song again and then when they get to the part I'm going to have you naked by the end of this song and then he ripped open her outfit and instead of her boob it's her baby there breastfeeding Um, if he had done that that would have been just the absolute most beautiful healing moment for America you know Uh, not only to recreate the moment but recreate it in a way that shows what the purpose of the tit is I mean how how amazing would that have been um, but instead he didn't bring her out and I knew that he wasn't going to do that. Um, but people were like, he didn't invite her out. Fuck him. He may have tried to get her to do it. And she might've said, no, we don't know the circumstances. He might've really wished she would have done it. We don't know. Maybe the NFL was like, you can't have Janet. I don't know if that was the case. He should have been like, fuck you. I'm not doing it. But we don't know the details. What we do know is that the show that was put on was a little bit ho-hum. 
now is justin a proficient pop star yes do you know how fucking hard it is to do a performance like that with that many songs he was running all over the place he goes up in the stands he comes down he's doing all these things he's got a little thing in his ear he's in a giant thing it's live tv that is complicated um that it takes a special type of person there's very few people that can accomplish that but if you're comparing within the other performances at super bowls past it didn't really hit the way that others have for me personally and so i was a little disappointed it felt like he was going through the motions a little bit and then we come to the part that almost broke me which was the debate over his use of prince now the day before the super bowl uh there was this rumor going around that 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 Justin was going to use a Prince hologram. And there's a quote of Prince saying he doesn't like holograms and he thinks they're demonic. Um, and they're saying, how dare Justin do this? He can't use a hologram. And my first thought was, because I do have some knowledge of holograms and how they work, don't ask me why. Um, okay, it's because I actually know someone who worked for a hologram company And I will just straight up say that the owner of that company was a rampant sexual assaulter and harasser and uh, may have been sued for millions of dollars. Anyway, terrible person. So fuck him. Fuck holograms across the board. Just want to preface this by saying that. (laughs) But what I do know about holograms from knowing that person who worked for this company is that you can't make a hologram and use it anywhere of a famous person without getting the approval of the estate of that person, the family. And so, you know, yes, of course, Justin has to take into even if you even if you have permission from somebody to do something, that doesn't mean you should do it. So he definitely takes some responsibility in that. But the family would have to uh, say yes to it, too. But I'm looking at Twitter, and people are going nuts, like the outrage based on this rumor Uh, has already reached peak. Like people are just, they were just going nuts. They were like, fuck Justin Timberlake for using a hologram. Prince never would have wanted this. Prince didn't like Justin. Justin dissed Prince in the past. And it was just like all of this. And I just felt, I honestly, I'll be honest, I started crying. Um, I've never cried over anything like that before. But what it was triggering in me was this idea that if I still like, I, I came to the conclusion the reason why it was stressing me out so much was if I still like Justin, am I a bad person? Um, is Justin so bad now because he has betrayed the African American community because he, um, hasn't disavowed Woody Allen for doing a Woody, you know, he was in a Woody Allen film. Are these things that are enough for me to go, fuck you, Justin, I no longer will support you or listen to your stuff. And I felt from the discourse on social media that I had to choose And that was, it was just a perfect crystallization of what was happening in America One that made people feel these impossible splits, splitting. You were either all good or all bad. Justin, you were, you, if you like him now, Justin's over. And if you like him, you are bad. And if you don't like him, that means you're woke. And I just felt pressured to decide. And then I started, you know, I tweeted at one point, like, oh, I better get off Twitter because I still love my boyfriend, Justin Timberlake. And then I ended up deleting it because I was like, oh, my God, what if someone, what if like one of my black friends reads that? I mean, these are the crazy things you think about. And she thinks that I don't support her. And I, I mean, look, these are scenarios that may or may not be true. They may or may not happen. And it may or may not reveal my own fragility as a white woman. I get that. But 
I was fl- flipping out and felt so frustrated that, and my boyfriend said it perfectly. He said, we are, we are trashing and dismissing art before we experience it. And he said, this is exactly what is happening. Cause he was a huge star Wars fan. Um, he said, this is exactly what was happening with the star Wars franchise is that people are, he said, cause this was at the time they hadn't released, um, I guess the Han Solo movie trailer yet. And he was like, people are already angry about this movie and they haven't released one piece of footage from it. No trailer at the time. He's like, they're already mad because they don't like certain casting choices and they don't like this or that. And it's, we're at a point now where we are, we were having meltdowns over things we hadn't even seen yet. And the hologram thing ended up being not true. And that day, Justin and the family of Prince said, there is no hologram. And people are like, then the headline, it was fascinating to watch. Then the headlines became, after outrage, Justin Timberlake scraps Prince hologram. That isn't what happened. He didn't scrap it because there was outrage. There just never was one because there's no way the Prince family would have approved of that. Now, what ended up happening was he did a, a quick moment where an image of Prince was projected on a giant sheet behind him. It was kind of lame. And I don't know if Justin should have sang along with it or if there was a better way of honoring Prince. I do think some people were like, he shouldn't have even brought up Prince. How dare he? But it was Minneapolis. And I think the people of Minneapolis probably wanted to feel some tribute to Prince there. Prince's halftime show was so incredible. There might have been a better way to honor Prince. I'm sure there was. Anyway, he sang over it, and it just seemed a little bit off. And, of course, Twitter was just absolutely trashing the entire thing. And I was a little stressed out about it, but I had already come to peace with it the night before. I was just sort of like, you know what? People are going to hate what they want to hate. And there are some really valid criticisms of Justin Timberlake. I'm not an idiot. But what happens online is just so black and white that it feels impossible. You feel like your soul, the entire Super Bowl was that. You know, on one hand, they've got uh, people down on the field, um, you know, giving themselves concussions over and over again, and then their brains basically rot over time. Like, it's an incredibly violent sport. There's so much racism wrapped up in the NFL, in the dialogue around it. There's all the stuff about Colin Kaepernick and and the kneeling and the protesting of um, violence against um, unarmed black men. There's so many things wrapped up. And then you've got the advertisements and the, and the sort of sickening way we celebrate ads and marketing. I mean, it's just the Super Bowl is really, I mean, if we want to look back on the decay of society, I mean, you could look at just a study of one Super Bowl and really get to the meat of it there. Um, anyway, at that point, I think is when I really started to go, God, social media is going to kill us. Um, this this way of of wow how our thoughts and our anxieties are just heightened to such an extreme degree, you know. And we've only had this technology at the time. We'd only had it for ten years. We'd only had social media for ten years. The internet for maybe thirty years at that point. Uh, Twenty years. I don't know. Some people would argue that the internet started way earlier, like in the sixties or some shit, but when it was accessible to everyone wasn't until the nineties. But anyway, history, you know, it, it doesn't surprise me that, you know, later years later when we got into the, the, the shit 
and they passed the uh, NWHTTTEOEA, obviously the national, we have to talk to each other enforcement act. Um, you know, everyone at that point, you know, we knew, God, fuck this. Everything is so fucked up. Um, and they passed this law where, you know, everyone living in the U S was required to attend daily meetings. Um, and they were called tours, which stood for talk, observe, understand, reconcile, and hug. Uh, the H was silent on the end of that. So tours, you had to go to a tour, uh, daily. Now think about this, having to go to one of those daily, and it was just trying to get us to all sort of, uh, talk to each other and get real with each other. Um, you know, when you got to the tour, you go to your designated tour location in your district. And when you got there, you know, you, it, I don't know if you remember back in America one, there was this, uh, trend starting at concerts like Chris Rock and Jack White would require you to put your cell phone into a pouch when you got there, a locked pouch so that you couldn't use your phone, uh, until the end of the concert. And it was the main company that made these pouches was called, I think it was called Yonder or something. But anyway, when the tour started, when you went to a tour meeting, you had to put your phone into a Yonder pouch. Great time for Yonder uh, stock. You know, it went through the roof because every single person had, I mean, you know, one one Yonder pouch per person in America. That's, that's a great business. Anyway, so when you got to the meeting, you had to put your cell phone in a thing so you couldn't use your cell phone, you couldn't film anything, and so it was just a you in a room with other people being in the moment, which at first sounded like a really good idea. You know, you're forced to interact with people from all walks of life. Um, the idea was to have IRL conversations, in real life conversations, you know, that would feel very different from the type of dialogue you might have on Twitter, where you'd actually have to reach an understanding and listen to each other and you know, look, by that point, things had become so, so polarized that, you know, I felt like, I don't know if this is going to work. Um, it was just easy to dismiss anything you heard from the other side. You were so brainwashed to your own way of thinking, you know, to the point where it was like, uh, oh, good point about global warming, but where'd you read that? And then they'd say, I heard it on NPR. And then the person would be like, yeah, well, NPR is a lefty communist, you know, and it'd just be like, oh God, well, you just dismissed every single thing just because now you think every single news source that isn't yours is lying to you. And that becomes a real problem. Anyway, obviously it wasn't until after the Jacksonville massacre that uh, we finally realized and that shit just wasn't working tours and this, you know, having to talk to each other. It just, it wasn't working. Of course, the Jacksonville massacre happened during a tour in Jacksonville, Florida, during a tour meeting. Um, now, that incident really brought America down. I mean, it was the point where we were like, wow, we've got to really do something drastic, and that's when America, too, came into, into play. Um, and, of course, it's funny that when you think about the fact that the thing that finally broke America, it happened in Florida. Of course it happened in Florida. Um, anyway, so no one's quite sure how it began, but the Jacksonville massacre, um, you know, because of course cell phones were locked away. We didn't have any video of the incident, but investigators, um, you know, they concluded that, um, uh, maybe about after the fourth or fifth trust fall, uh, a fright broke out and they think the violence was triggered by, uh, sparked by a, uh, dapper white supremacist. Now, that's not to be confused with the Cletus white supremacist. So dapper white supremacists came to rise 
you know, maybe after the like fifth profile of a racist in the New York Times style section, um, they started, you know, everybody was really mad at the New York Times for like giving a, a platform and doing all these profiles on racists. I and mean, it really wasn't until they started doing fashion profiles of them, style section profiles that people were like, what the fuck? But they are really fashionable. They were full on racist, but because they wore khakis and had slicked back hair, um, they were really interesting, you know? And so we did a lot of articles on those. And of course, Cletus white supremacists were your classic toothless rednecks, you know, easy to spot in the public square, um, you know, and in a way less frightening and kind of adorable. Um, but it was the dapper white supremacists that of course became really scary. Um, Anyway, so they think that the brawl was started by a dapper white supremacist, um, but then it was further escalated by some Bernie bros, Hillary Shills, Trumpkins, uh, people who say they're not into politics, uh, male feminists, um, uh, white women asking to speak to the manager, and one, and these were their words, I remember this, um, one very hangry toddler also brought it down t- into this crazy chaos so anyway apparently the crime scene was just totally horrific like now because if you think about it like as you know there were no weapons were allowed in tours in tour meetings no weapons i mean at least no workable weapons you were actually allowed to bring um if you had the proper paperwork you were allowed to bring in a therapy assault rifle that is you know if you had a piece of paper saying that you needed your assault rifle to feel calm and safe in public spaces you were allowed to bring it in of course but it had to be unloaded that was the deal and of course you know as we know everyone who owned an assault rifle qualified you know so a lot of therapy assault rifles in these meetings they were frightening to look at but you knew there was no bullets in there and it was just that guy needed it to be to feel safe um, in a room with other people that weren't like him so all about compromises but anyway um bullets or not um as the great ani defranco once sang every tool is a weapon if you hold it right um, so even with no bullets and no knives in that room, total destruction took place. And I mean, it was a grisly scene because you've got to think about it. This was with no guns or knives on hand. Uh, this was death in hand to hand combat. You know, um, these people literally ripped each other apart one by one. So it, it was horrific. And you'd think that that alone would be the wake up call. But of course, as we know, America was no, America one, no stranger to mass murder. Okay. No stranger to lots of people being killed in one setting and the horrific, even children. We were all completely fine with that. You know, it was just like, well, that's part of life. You know, it's part of being free. (laughs) Part of freedom is, uh, uh, 12 people getting shot every single day in there in a school or church. That's freedom. God bless America. Uh, God bless America one, you know? Anyway, uh, there were, of course, mass murders were already happening in the tour meetings. You know, these meetings were, were, were just like kindling on, um, and it was very easy for fights to break out and for deaths to occur regularly. The reason that the Jacksonville massacre was so bad and actually brought about change was because this time Ryan Gosling was among the victims. 
we knew, we always knew that it wouldn't be until a beloved celebrity was murdered in a mass killing that we would actually do something. And everyone was like, why was Ryan Gosling in the Jacksonville tour meeting? It's because he was shooting The Notebook 4. He was filming a new notebook, which it's like, how could you film a new notebook? They both died at the end. But they had other stories they wanted to tell about that that sweet, sweet, sexy notebook. Now, Ryan Gosling was on set and he went to his designated tour meeting like he, like a good boy, like the good, good, sexy boy that he was. And he went and he died. And that's when America decided we've had enough. If Ryan Gosling must die for us to realize how far off we've gone off the tracks, then that is what I guess had to happen. It was horrible. And that's when we moved into America too. And everybody had to have a timeout. Anyway. Gosh, it's hard to relive that stuff, you know? It's really hard to think about it. Um, but I did just want to make sure everyone, anyone who might ever listen to this, I just want to just add a quick reminder that I did meet Justin Timberlake. I touched him. We held hands for just a few seconds. I have a picture of it that I look at sometimes. Okay, what's happening in the cabinet? (laughs) What's happening in the cabinet? Um, Okay, so this week in the cabinet, I have been dealing with a pest, okay? I've been dealing with a pest that is just driving me crazy. It's not an animal pest. It's not an insect pest. It's a plant pest. And it, it... has been plaguing the southeastern United States for decades, centuries even. And what it is, is it's called kudzu. If you're not familiar with kudzu, kudzu is a fast-growing vine that originated from Asia. It actually comes from Japan. And kudzu um, never was a real problem in, in Japan because it never reached the conditions that it would become such an invasive vine. It would sort of stay a smaller size because of the, the climate that it was in in the mountain regions of Japan. But then some point, you know, just like a lot of really dumb shit that happened in the 1800s when colonialism was taking over the world, um, someone decided to bring some kudzu over to like a, some sort of expo and start selling it as a, an ornamental plant in the United States. Of course, the vine in southeastern climate, in a hot, swampy-ass, you know, south, southern United States, it went berserk. And I remember growing up riding along the highway and seeing entire forests along the road covered in this vine. It, it would make the trees look like Muppets almost, like... like I don't know how you even describe it. Like it was almost like a green fur and it would would just be the outline of a tree, not an actual tree. And it would kill the native plants and it would kill whole farms and and whole orchards. And it would grow so fast um, that it could take over just like huge acres of uh, huge acreage um, in just a matter of days, like just really destructive plant. Um, So anyway, kudzu, uh, was a real shitty thing. And then, of course, uh, people tried to start using it to feed livestock and other things, and they tried to, you know, make the best of it. Um, but I remember uh, the reason I bring it up is because I've got a little bit of a kudzu problem. 
um, in my loner zone and I've been trying to cut that shit back and, you know, fight it. It's hard to get rid of it because it's, it's just like once it starts spreading its seed, you know, I feel like I'm trying to do a genocide of kudzu in my property and I, I feel bad for the kudzu, but y'all got to go. You can't, this is our land. You got to get out of here. Anyway, I always laugh when I think about kudzu because back in America one, there was this really popular show called The Walking Dead. And it was set, it, it started in Georgia, they end up in Virginia. It's all in the, the region I grew up in. Virginia, North Carolina, Georgia. This is like where all the, 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 where it all takes place. And I really liked that show in part because of that, because I would feel like, oh, I could really imagine a zombie apocalypse in this setting because this is what looks like my homeland. And of course, it's near where I live now as well. Um, but back in America 1, I really liked The Walking Dead and I liked Rick really loved Rick. In fact, I, I wanted to make love to Rick, but only if he'd showered. That's one thing. These people need to bathe more on that show. Daryl, cut your fucking bangs, man. You look sickening. Anyway, and Carl, oh, Carl, yuck. Never liked Carl. He always got them into trouble. And I know he was a child, but I wish he'd been killed early on in the series. And I feel bad for saying that, but it's true. It's how I feel. Anyway, I have a point here, which is I always laughed because whenever I watched that show, I would remember uh, the kudzu from growing up. And I would go, you know, if the end of the world had really come and they really had, you know, abandoned, you know, society and the way we knew it. And there were zombies hordes across the land. Um, there would be kudzu all over everything in that show. It would be covering all that. Like whenever they would find an, an old gas station, it'd be covered in kudzu. Without keeping it in check, it would have covered everything. And I felt that that was really unrealistic. And I know that there were other parts of that show that were unrealistic. Like, for instance, the zombies. Like the main plot point of the show was not real. But they really wanted to make it feel real, so they should have kept the, they should have covered shit in kudzu. I really have thinking about that lately out on my land when I'm seeing how fast that shit grows. And I'm just one woman trying to fight this vine, this fucking vine. And I know they use it in, they used to use it in, apparently kudzu is like a big, one of the main, main uh, uh, plants um, in Chinese medicine. And they'd use it for all kinds of medicinal purposes. But I don't fucking know how to do that. And I don't, what, I'm gonna, I'm just one person, even if I, you know, smoked up one kudzu plant or crushed it up and put it in tea or whatever the fuck you're supposed to do with it. That's one leaf out of, you know, fucking tons of vines that I'm dealing with. Anyway, I'm trying to compost that stuff and maybe use it as fertilizer, but so anyway, uh, kudzu, I'm dealing with it. Um, I think I will win the war. I might be losing a battle here and there. You know, you come outside and you see one of the, the damn vines like creeping up again and, you got to stay on it or it will take over the cabin and I'll wake up one morning covered in vines and I don't want that to happen. So just add it to the list of daily chores at the cabin in loner zone 281B. Uh, anyway, that's, that's all I've got for today. Um, just, you know, sitting here, shining my light, keeping the channel open. <laughs>